And the rest of us, let's open our Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. And this is one of our theme verses and for this year. 1 Peter chapter 2, and let's just read verse 5, follow along closely. It says, Ye also, as lively stones, are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. And so, as we... Look at this verse once again. Uh, the, the part that I want to spend uh, time on this morning as this idea of lively stones or living stones. Uh, as most of you know, uh, we spent a, a good deal of time over at Union and got good news to report uh, was able, I was able to finish up all of the work that I had to do on the boilers. And so all we need to do now is close up the wall and seal up all the holes and call the inspector in. And, and we should be able to put that chapter behind us. And, uh, but uh, uh, as we were doing that work, there was some uh, bricks that needed to be moved out of the way. And I'll tell you one thing about a brick. It is not a living stone. Amen. Uh, it's just a little piece of clay, and but I, I will tell you that uh, there is so much uh, that you can learn about spiritual things in the physical world. Uh, yesterday, I had to take two bricks out of the wall in order to fit a piece in there. Uh, the only problem was it was a hole in the outer, uh, well, it was in the inside, and I had to reach about three feet into the wall to get this brick out of the inside of the chimney so we could put things together. And uh, you would think that being this thing was built in 1863 and everything was old and we've had so many things falling apart that you just go in there and go tap, tap at it and the brick would fall out, right? Wrong. Oh, my. I got in with one drill and, and uh, tried to drill some holes in the mortar and, and loosen it up. And then I hit it with a hammer and, and all I did was put a little scratch in the brick. Finally, I got out the, the big demolition hammer and tried to fit that and things started moving then. Uh, but I will tell you this, in order to get that brick out of the wall, I had to destroy the brick. I had to break it up into little pieces. Because cemented in that wall, mortared in that wall, that brick all by itself. I mean, I was in there hammering, I was hammering with a chisel, and, and I don't claim to be the strongest guy in the world, uh, able to do great feats, but I, I'll tell you this, uh, I, can, I can swing a hammer, I can put a little force in there, and nothing was moving. And our verse this morning, as is living stones, we're supposed to be built up. And uh, I, I looked at word living, lively. Uh, it's not a word that is used much in the English language today as it is in our King James Bible, but it simply means to have life. Today, when we use the word lively, we mean somebody's got a spring in their step or bouncing around or, or animated. Uh, that is the tent. But the, the use and the word in, in, in our Bible just simply means having life. So we are to be as stones having life built up a spiritual house. Now, first, I just want to look at the word living, give us an idea here. Take your Bibles, will you turn with me, Keep your, uh, put a bookmark or your bulletin or something there in First Peter, because we're going to be going back, but 
Uh, if you would, just limber up your fingers a little bit here as we're going to do some walking through the pages of God's Word and come down to Acts chapter 7 and verse 38. This is part of Stephen's sermon. He is standing before the Sanhedrin. This is possibly a, a year or maybe two years after uh, the death, the burial and resurrection uh, of Jesus. And Stephen is standing before the Sanhedrin. He is trying to explain to them why his message of the gospel is different than what they teach. And uh, we come down to verse uh, 38, and he just makes a passing statement here. He says, wait a minute, Acts chapter 7, yes. This is he that was in the church in the wilderness with the angel which spake unto him in Mount Sinai and with our fathers who received the lively oracles to give unto us. Now, those that hate your King James Bible, they love to pick on this verse because they talk about the church in the wilderness. That wasn't a church. That was the nation of Israel. Well, uh, can I ask you a question? Was the nation of Israel assembled together in the wilderness as the nation of Israel? Hello? Well, the Greek word for assembling together is church. So it's the right word. Amen? They were a nation just like we are assembled together as a church. The nation of Israel was... And what did they receive? They received the lively oracles. They received the living commandments of God. Now, we live in a world where people love to paint fake word pictures. Uh, one of the examples, most of us are familiar with a document called the Constitution of the United States. Now, we have those that are out here today who are talking about being constitutionalist. Now, uh, just so you understand, our president is not a constitutionalist. Uh, he does not believe in the strict letter-by-letter, word-for-word adherence to the Constitution of the United States. He, he just doesn't. That's not who he is. Um, but we have some very uh, some people who are very concerned with that, and they are strict. And I, if I were to put myself politically, I'd say I'm one of those constitutionalists. Uh, I believe in staying in a strict adherence, but we have the the actual the enemies of the Constitution. You know what their favorite phrase is? We don't want a dead Constitution. We want a living document. How many of you have ever heard that phrase in the news? Our Constitution is a living document. Um, yeah, you flipped the switch there. Okay, thank you. Um, distractions. Now, here is what they mean by a living document. You see, the Constitution is old and it's outdated. And since it's a living document... We need to change it to fit us today. Now, could I tell you that if you change the document to fit you today, you kill it? It's not living. Okay? So when you hear that beautiful phrase about a living document, a living constitution, uh, the first word that ought to come into your mind is liar. Okay, because our Bible is a living Bible. This is God's Word. And what, how does it live today? The fact that we don't change one syllable in it. You see, it applies to us. Now, please don't misunderstand. I am using an argument from today to illustrate a truth from the Bible. I am not equating the Constitution of the United States to the Bible. Uh, that's like one of those phrases you have to add, no, no animals were harmed in this presentation of God's Word. I mean, it's just 
you got all these people out there today trying to twist and things, but what I want you to understand is we are influenced by what goes on in our world, and when we hear that living document argument today, understand that they're not talking about the same thing that your Bible talks about when we have a living Word of God. The fact that this book is alive is the simple fact that it never changes. And there's application to the world in which we live today. And we'd solve some problems if we would just pay attention. Stephen said, listen, those, doc, those words, those oracles, those laws that God gave us are living. And by the way, if those Ten Commandments had been taught, I wonder if that abominable human being would have been constrained just a little bit before he went and murdered 17 people this week. Do you ever think about that? They tell us the Ten Commandments are harmful. Uh, We didn't have public school shootings when the Ten Commandments hung in every hall of every school in this country. We just didn't do it because, you see, those words are not just man's ideas. They're God's laws. And they're not just words. They're living words. And they apply today. And and Stephen said, listen, we received the living words. And Stephen would go on. We don't have time to build the whole thing up. But he would go on and say, listen, you're violating God's laws. And they would violate that commandment. And, And they murdered Stephen, stoned him, claiming to fulfill the very law that they were violating. We live... In a world of nonsense. But I want you to understand nothing new. You see, this idea of a living word. Turn to Hebrews chapter 4, would you? And and quote this verse often. And if you do not know these verses, uh, do not have them at least partially memorized. Could I challenge you to take the effort? If you want to memorize Scripture, if you want to put some Scripture in your heart, Here's the simplest way to do it. Write it down on a little index card. Just write it out by hand. If you ride the subway, read it. Get on the car. Read it. Sit down or stand up. You can read it either way. Just read it over again. Read it and read it over again many, many times. Close your eyes and shut out all of the guys doing gymnastics on the subway poles. And try to say that verse to yourself again. And you will put Scripture in your mind and in your heart. And we look here at verse 12. It says, For the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing even to the dividing of sunder of soul and spirit and, and of joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Now we'll be coming back and picking up the next few verses here, I hope, in a little bit, but... How many of you have ever caught yourself thinking wrong about something? How many of you ever just wanted to key the car that stole your parking spot? I I, I was told I have a vindictive spirit, and I believe that. Uh, And and God's got to temper that thing. Amen? And, and, And you just... Uh, and don't look at me this way. You've thought about other things. I, I just, I just like one time. No. You see, this book called the Bible gets down inside and tells me that that is wicked, ungodly, and against what the Bible teaches. 
How many of you have ever been convicted by the Word of God? Because it's real, isn't it? It's living. And you're supposed to be living. But guess what? Does the Bible change? No. It stays the same. The words never change. Do you think there's an application here? As a living stone and a living word that we're not supposed to change. Isn't that the clarion call of the day? How many of you know what a clarion call actually is? Uh, That is something that is trumpeted, that everybody talks about. Society has picked it up. And as, as a whole, uh, they echo the sentiments, and the sentiments are, everybody's right. But how does that work? Well, in school, it's real easy. You can't flunk a test. Because no matter what you put on the paper, the teacher's not going to mark you off for it. Now, that'd be pretty cool, wouldn't it? Until you have to apply what you were supposed to learn, but you didn't. I mean, one of our jokes putting, uh, working over at Union these last two years was, ah, cut it twice and it was still too short. Measure twice, cut once, don't cut twice. And we would, we would bandy that about as we were putting boards in and The problem is, once you cut something too short, you can't make it longer again. You you can try, but it doesn't work. You got to go get a new board and start over again. You can't go get a new life and start over again. Can you? You can't just stuff something in the hall and hopefully. Nobody will notice. It, it, things have to be done. They have to be done right. We, the Bible says, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. If you're here today and you're saved, it is because you believed in a living Lord who died for you. Amen. You obeyed a living word that he gave you that has not changed. And this is the pattern. God says, I want you to be a living stone. A stone that's alive. Now, doesn't that sound constraining? Doesn't that sound rather restrictive? You know, one thing about stone, unlike brick, you take a brick and dump it in a bucket of water, and you know what that brick will do? It will absorb half its weight in water again, like a sponge. You say, no, oh yeah. Brick is porous. It's clay. It soaks up water. It loves water. Now, you know what happens if you take a piece of granite or uh, some other type of good, solid stone and dump it in a bucket of water? gets clean. Because it doesn't absorb water. Ladies, your countertops. Um, how many of you have ever thought, wow, I'd like a marble countertop. That marble is so beautiful. You don't want a marble countertop. It absorbs water. Every germ, every bacterium, every disease, every virus known to mankind will grow in a marble. That's why they don't use it for countertop. They use quartz. Because when they polish that up, it's just like glass. and Nothing penetrates it. it it's safe. You see... I want us to look at this verse and I I want you to pray with me in your hearts because what I'm trying to bring forth today is a message that I've tried to bring forth on many, many occasions, but it's one that each one of us need to understand. You see, 
The Bible says, ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house. Now, I don't think that it's a um, very difficult concept for us to grasp, it, but we want it to understand that Jesus wants to take us as individuals and he wants to put us together and he wants to mortar us in place so that we do not move, so that we become a spiritual house. We all together? And I've often had people ask, you know, why, why can't I do more? What more can I do? Well, let me challenge you. Staying cemented in place and not moving is something. Is very important. You see, not only is it important to the integrity of the walls that hold the roof up, that make the house work, that the stones in the walls stay put. It's important to the stones. Do you realize that if I took a brick, there's part of me that actually wanted to do this, but the mess and the other problems involved would have... So I need you to picture in your mind, but if I... If I took a, a, a brick and set up a very strong, unbending surface on here and got a big hammer, an eight-pound sledgehammer, and just whack that brick as hard as I could, how many of you know what would happen? Well, the people in the first three or four rows would be feeling little bits of brick flying at them because it would break the brick and, and it would shatter certain parts of it and... Uh, you would have to be very careful. You need to wear eye protection and other things because you can really, really do some damage to yourself with flying debris. You hit that brick and it's going to bust. It's going to fall. I know that's not the right word, but it's just going to fall into pieces. It's going to crack up and little bits are going to go flying everywhere. But if I take that same brick and mortar it in a wall, and get back with that same hammer. You know what's going to happen? The hammer's going to bounce off the wall. You know why? Because even though I'm directing that force at that one brick, every other stone in the wall is holding that brick in place. And the force of that hammer, which is sufficient to crush that stone, that brick, will not harm it in the least. How many of you getting the idea here? The application. You see, we all have this idea, maybe we got it from John Wayne, I don't know, uh, the Lone Ranger, that somehow God has called us to ride into town and solve everybody's problems. I mean... Uh, I like a sermon that Brother Marshall preached in, uh, many years ago, and I've tried to live it. He said, one of the things that Dad is supposed to do is Dad is supposed to be able to fix things. And I thought, well, yeah, man, that sounds good. We weren't married yet the first time I heard him preach that. And I will tell you this. I have spent an awful lot of time fixing things. In fact, the other night I'd been over at Union working and trying to put things together and I just got frustrated to the point that I, I had to quit and come and do something else. And, and uh, I get a text from Andrew. Hey, uh, uh, Dad, the front door's broke. The lock won't work anymore. And so I, I finished what I had to do and, and went and got out the tools and took the lock apart and I found out the pieces inside had just gotten loose. And instead of rotating centrically or circle, it was in a circle the way they were supposed to, they were rotating 
off-center. And so the lock would just jam and it wouldn't work. So we just took it apart and put it all back together again. I, I like fixing things. But I want you to understand that God hasn't called us to fix things near as much as he's called us to be. Right where he put us. God doesn't need me to figure things out. He needs me to stay put. He needs me to be placed in order by the building, by the builder. Now, I want us to turn to keep your bookmark here in, in Second Peter, uh, First Peter, I'm sorry, and go with me to Second Corinthians, if you would. Second Corinthians, chapter five. And I want us to read verse 14. For the love of Christ... What's that next word? For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them, and rose again. You see, if I'm going to enjoy the love of Christ, I must accept the constraint that comes with that love of Christ. <coughs> Excuse me. God says, just like a living stone, I'm going to pick you up and I'm going to put you in the wall, and I'm going to cement you into place, and I want you just to stay there. It says the love of Christ constrains us. The word constrain means tied up. It means your movement is restricted. But could I challenge you? Just as there is a true and real constraint, there is a false constraints that are available out there. Um, our, our missionary talked about Buddhism, and one of the earmarks of strict Buddhism is an abstinence from all kinds of things. How many of you have ever heard that this, um, uh, this idea that uh, you should live on a 1,200-calorie diet of raw grains? That's Buddhist. Uh, most of this vegan garbage that goes passing around for health and all of that, that comes from Buddhism because they believe that if you will not harm any living thing, you enhance your karma. Well, isn't corn living? Uh, green beans, weren't they living at one time? If you're going to be consistent, then starve to death. Uh, because you are killing living things no matter what you do. And see, I, I believe the best way to get vegetables is to let the steer eat them and then kill the steer and eat the steer. Amen. Uh, you see, you're still getting your veggies, amen? But let me just read a verse here. And No, let's take the time. Galatians chapter 6. We need, we need to get this. This is important. Well, everything in God's Word is important, you understand. But to understand the message here, verse chapter 6 of the book of Galatians, and Paul is dealing with people that had come into the church and were trying to teach people in the church, the churches of Galatia, that in order for to be a real Christian, you had to follow all these little rules. And where they got their rules was from the Jewish faith that was no longer a faith in God, but a faith in the tradition of men. That's the difference. They had abandoned the Bible so that they could keep their own traditions. Now look at um, uh, verse 12 here. It says, 
As many as desire to make a fair show in the flesh, they constrain you to be circumcised, only lest they should suffer persecution for the cause of Christ. For neither they themselves who are circumcised keep the law, but desire to have you circumcised, that they may glory in your flesh. Now here's what's going on. You see, there's people that come up with all their little rules and they want you to follow their little rules. Because if you follow their little rules, that means they're right. I don't know how many were there for it, but we had a a little fella come in after the service, of course. He wasn't going to sit through the preaching and He is from the Good News Fellowship. Now, if you hear that, there's nothing good, there's nothing new, there's nothing informative about Good News Fellowship. It's a cult. Uh, In fact, I was talking about them last uh, on Thursday night, and their little representative showed up after church. And and I I looked at him, and he says, Yeah, uh, uh, I'm here to... I said, you're not here to do anything. I said, you're from Good News Fellowship, aren't you? He said, oh, yes, I am. I said, get out. I said, no. I said, you're leaving right now. I said, I'm not talking to you. You see, the only reason they want us to be involved with them is so they can say, we have Baptists in our group who follow us. No, we don't follow them. We follow the Lord Jesus Christ. We follow the living Word of God that doesn't change. And you see, someone that's in that situation doesn't want to hear the truth. And so I'm not going to waste time trying to give them something that they don't want. But most of these religions believe that if they're treated poorly, that somehow it draws them a little closer to God. So I just give them a poor treatment and let them feel like they're drawn closer to God. Amen. As we push them out the door. But what I'm simply trying to help you understand here is there's an awful lot passed along as fake, false, Christianity. This idea. You know what? The Bible says, love your enemies. How do I love my enemies? Well, if I'll accept the Bible definition of love, I'll give them God. I'll give them this book called the Bible. And if they don't want that, I can't love them. I can't help them. Are we together? You see, this fake idea. I've had people say, well, you're a Christian. Yeah, and you're breaking the law. Now, am I supposed to help you break the law? By parking in front of the church or doing some other thing that hinders what we're supposed to be doing? No. You see, everybody wants to turn something around so it pleases them. And that's not Christianity. Christianity is where we allow God to change our life so that it pleases Him. Are are we still together? Are are we getting this thing? Because we've had some real difficulties with this in our church in the past. Where people will come in and they'll try to manipulate and move people to do things. And if you get down to the bottom of it, that help them. And that's not what church is about. It's about pleasing God. It's about allowing the love of Christ to 
constrain me. You see, the, the Jewish Judaizers is the proper term for them. They were people who believed in keeping the traditions of the elders was the pathway to God. Uh, they, they believed that as long as you did all this, they, did not, they would not suffer persecution. Who was Paul's main persecutors? It was the Jewish people now, wasn't it? And so these other Christians that were watching all the things that the Apostle Paul suffered, they said, wow, it must not be God's will to suffer like that. And so what we'll do is we'll, we'll meet them halfway and we'll build a bridge and we'll synthesize tradition in the Bible and we're not compromising anything in the Bible and they won't bother us anymore. Well, Paul didn't accept that. True Christianity didn't accept that. And so what began to happen was they needed justification for their fake Christianity. And you know how they got it? By putting their arm around a good Bible-believing Christian and say, hey, would you just compromise? They never use the word compromise. You, you just need to be a little kind toward these people. You need to understand where they're coming from. I don't know how many times I've been told that over the years. Don't you understand where I'm coming from? Yes, I do. If you're not saved, you're on the road to hell. Now, do you want me to be kind about that and pat you on the back and send you on your way? Or would you rather me stand in the way and say, Hey, you need to get off that road before it's too late. Hello? You see, the love of Christ sometimes is not just a warm, mushy-gushy feeling inside. It's staying put right where Jesus puts me. See, the other picture that's in this passage is in holy priesthood. Now, we're, we're, we're just running out of time today, but could I challenge you that there was no more restrictive lifestyle in the Bible, with possibly the exception of the Nazarite, uh, that was more confining and more, had more regulations to abide by than the priesthood did. In fact, anybody could choose to be a Nazarite for a certain period of time, but if you were a priest, that was a lifelong calling. You had to be born into the right family or you had no choice or no chance at all. You had to dress a certain way. You had to walk a certain way. You, you had to be careful what you ate. Your food was regulated while you served as a priest. If you were here Thursday night as we were talking about wine in the Bible, the priest was prohibited from drinking any type of wine while he was serving as a priest. And we're not talking about alcoholic versus non. We're talking about grape juice. He was restricted even in good and normal things because he was supposed to serve God. He had special clothes he had to wear. It took seven days to be sanctified so that he could even begin to serve as a priest. And if anything defiled his sanctification, he had to offer sacrifices and he had to start all over again. He couldn't do anything until he had straightened that out. It was the most restrictive lifestyle known in the Bible. Now, here's the subject of the uh, title of the sermon this morning. And then we'll try to finish it up, at least this part of it. Lively stones. Freedom in constraint. You get it? You see, Psalm 119, a verse I love to quote, I have seen... An end of all perfection. But thy commandment is exceeding broad. 
Now, I don't claim to understand everything, but I, I have been around. I have studied life. I have studied the way people live. If you want to do a class on comparative religion, I, I think I could do just about as well as any professor anywhere on comparative religion and all the different things. But here's the problem. All the religions in the world can't give you one thing that Jesus promises you. Freedom. How many of you have thought in your heart and in your mind, I can't walk that narrow way. It's just too narrow. If you haven't thought that, that's probably because you don't have a very good understanding of what the narrow way is. Amen? Well, uh, I mean, and I can't tell you how many people. Well, the Bible's just a bunch of do's and don'ts. No, it is not. If you could possibly understand the do's, you would find out that you have no time for the don'ts. Hello? If we got a hold of this thing, and first of all, let's just talk about freedom from hell. How many of you remember attending church hoping that someday you'd be able to go to heaven and never really know? I mean, when you got right there and looked in the mirror and just asked yourself the question, if I were to die today, where would I go? And you had to say, well, I hope I go to heaven. Well, the priest told me I'd go to heaven. Well, my... My, my religious leader has told me that I have as good a chance as anybody. But these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that ye may what? Know that ye have eternal life. And that ye might believe on the name of the Son of God. Why would you believe in a Jesus that only gives you a hope so chance of eternity? That's a terrifying thought to me, and yet that's where most people who use the name Christian find themselves. Jesus said in Luke chapter 13 that we needed to strive to enter in at the straight gate. It said many people are going to try, and they're not going to be able to get in. That was in response to the disciples' question, are there few that be saved? And Jesus was saying, absolutely. You see, how many of you remember the struggle that you went through before you surrendered to the Lord in being saved? Remember that? And then do you remember the peace that came into your heart? And the knowledge that I don't have to worry about eternity anymore? Because Jesus has put me in a place that I cannot be moved. Amen? How many of you have ever had a real live enemy that was trying to hurt you? Maybe at work, or trying to get you fired, or just somewhere in your life, someone that had your name on their piece of paper, and they were going to get you. How many of you have ever had that happen? I mean, that's not a pleasant place to be now, is it? And you know that they're planning, and, and, and there's always that part of you that says, I'm going to figure this thing out. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get them. and I'm going to be like the guy in the television show that's always one step ahead. Could I challenge you? That only happens with a cooperative scriptwriter, not in real life. Amen? Uh, you, you can't stay one step ahead. If you want people who are smart at doing evil, Christians come in last. You know why? Because you have the Holy Spirit of God living in you, hindering you. You can't fight them 
on their terms. You can't outsmart the devil. You're not that good and don't ever think that you are. But guess what? If I'm a living stone put where Jesus put me, the sledgehammers of the devil are just bouncing off. Because there is a protection in that constraint. And I don't have to waste time trying to think of how I'm going to protect myself. Read through the Psalms. Read David's prayers. Read how he said in in Psalm 119 that if I had not meditated in thy law, the enemy would have took me. I'm paraphrasing. But the answer for the enemy, the freedom. The Bible says here that I am supposed to live unto Him. Now, if talking about Jesus, if I'm supposed to live unto Him, where can I do that better than being cemented in the place where He put me. Amen? Do you know how much work a brick has to do to stay in the wall? Absolutely none. Just got to sit still. Boy, it's hard to sit still. Boy, it's hard not to meddle with things and not try to fix things on our own. Isn't it? But I'll tell you what we need to do. Is be right where Jesus put us. Let's go back to Hebrews chapter 4. And I feel like I've only preached about a third of this sermon this morning. I'm, so, we'll, we'll try to get some more of it later. But Hebrews chapter 4. And let's pick up where we left off. The Bible is quick, it's living, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. There's nothing in my heart or mind that it will not make plain. God can see everything, every thought, every desire, whether it's true or whether it's false. Verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You know what kind of freedom that is? I have freedom to approach God Himself. Hello? What more freedom would you want? To be able to walk up to the very throne of God and bring my request and my prayers... But I want you to understand something that we're supposed to be living stones. This idea of living doesn't mean changing. You know, one of the things about living is you want your heart to keep beating. Amen? If it stops, you have a very good chance of stopping living. You don't want that to change, amen? And we don't want the Word of God to change. We, in fact, God says it won't, and it hasn't. And He's going to put us in a place where He can use us. And that is the greatest freedom you can know in this life. How many other freedoms could we talk about that you get from being where God put you? Your freedom from attack from the enemy. We talked a little bit about that. Your freedom to free to come before the throne of God. You you have freedom 
to truly love and truly care about someone expecting nothing in return. What a great freedom that is. How many of you have tried to love someone else hoping that they would give you something back? That selfish, push-me-pull-me kind of love. Tell you what, that's not from God. That's from the devil. But you can be free from that. If you'll be where Jesus wants you to be. About freedom to face eternity. Freedom to live. Jesus said, I've come to give you life. And what kind of life? More abundant life. He says, I want you to ask the Father in my name. Ask that you may receive what? That your joy might be full. I have more freedom and more joy and more of everything the world wishes it had being stuck in the place that Jesus put me than I could ever realize anywhere else doing anything else that this world has to offer. Question one, are you saved? Amen? If you're not, you can trust the Lord as your Savior. The publican prayed, God be merciful to me a sinner. If you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and we'd be more than happy to open this book and help you with that decision, but we won't do it unless you ask for it. Because we wouldn't force you into anything. That's not what this church is about. Hey, if, if you're saved, would you just ask the simple question, am I stuck where Jesus wants to put me? Am I that living stone that is built up? Or am I that living stone that had to be set on the pile over here because I was not fit to put into the building? The Bible says ye also as living stones are built up. There's some people that never get built up because they won't be obedient to the things that are in this book called the Bible. I want to be where Jesus sticks me. And guess what? That's constraining. That's movement limitations. But I find his commandment exceeding broad. I have more freedom to do more things being stuck in the place that Jesus stuck me than I would ever have anywhere else. You see, living stones, freedom by constraint. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I ask that the Holy Spirit would minister where my feeble attempts as a pastor have come short